Romans 8.15 says, You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Welcome to Spirit of Adoption Radio, where we soar above all the darkness of this world and see things in the light of God's eternal perspective. Now, here's your hosts, Kevin and Tabitha Lavelle. Shalom. We're so thankful and blessed that you would choose to join us today for episode number 96 of Spirit of Adoption Radio. I'm Kevin, and with me as always is my dear wife, Tabitha. How are you today, Svia? I'm doing great. Just magnifying the name of the Lord. Amen. How excellent is his name? Yes. How excellent is it? It's too excellent for words. this one. I like this song, how he puts it. Amen. That's Brother Marty Getz. Amen. Marty Getz. Amen. Gets it done for Jesus. Yep. G-O-E-T-Z is how you spell his last name. Did you like that? I love it. Marty Getz gets it done for the Lord. Of course, you would have a springboard for that. Come on. (laughs) I love your springboards. So on today's show, we want to honor another man of God. Last week, we honored Pastor Chuck Smith, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. Give honor to whom honor is due. That's right. So this week, we have another man of God that we want to honor who was used as an instrument in your life, dear, right? Yeah. To bring you to salvation or was one of the instruments that Mm. was used in your life to bring you to salvation. Yes, definitely. One of the biggest ones, I would say. Amen. Um, I just remember coming from my background and finding myself in a Calvary chapel, which that was the place where God was really touching my heart in the season that I was in. Mm -hmm. And I was lost. And I just showed up there and got 
the word of God started planting in my heart and my soul. And I just remember the worship, everything about the time there, the Lord was just meeting me every Sunday. I would feel like that pastor, Pastor Damien Kyle, the one who you're going to share from, Mm -hmm. I just kept feeling like every Sunday he was reading my diary and preaching about everything that I needed to hear every Sunday week after week. And I would just have tears of of um, hardness just melting off of my Amen. heart, you know, I like ice melting through my eyes, just kind of like tears, tears, tears. And um, the Lord was touching me in Amen. such a deep way. And we actually recorded your whole testimony on a previous episode. That's right. What was it called? Um, my story. This is my story, I believe. That, that's the episode. Story. Yeah. So if you want to hear more about what the Lord did in Svea, mm-hmm. Tabitha. Right. You can listen to that episode. That's right. But actually, I was looking, we were looking up, trying to find that teaching from 2002. Yes. We just, we couldn't find it. No. The actual one where you were sitting in there and God spoke and God to you. touched me, yeah. In that way. But I actually found a message uh, that we're going to play today. Mm-hmm. And it was actually the message that we both listened to. It was the week before we went on our very first trip. So this was in 2004. Mm-hmm. We went to Hollywood to preach the gospel on Hollywood Boulevard. You know where all the stars are on the right. ground? Mm-hmm. We were preaching a star that's greater than all those stars. That's right. Praise God. Mm-hmm. So, But before we went on that trip, um, the Sunday before, this is the message, the Sunday before we went on that gospel trip. And I remember, I actually have a little flyer right here that I made. Um, I was handing these out at Calvary Chapel, trying to put together a gospel team. Mm. And I actually remember that Sunday that this message was given, I invited uh, someone who wasn't saved at that time, but Mm. he was working uh, in the Sunday school with him and his wife. But he he had a form of godliness, but he he denied the power of God. He wasn't born again yet. Mm. And, uh, but... I used to bring our son Isaiah to this class, and uh, him and his wife were there, and they're a very sweet couple and very nice, and I got along really well with them and enjoyed talking to them on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that he wasn't born again yet, but there are people out there like that. Yeah, very nice people, yeah. even might appear very godly yeah, in exactly. their life, but yeah, they and may not And I remember be. inviting him to go on this outreach. Right. I invited him. I said, hey, uh, Kevin... Um, we're going to take our first uh, outreach mission trip down to mm-hmm. Hollywood to share the gospel. And um, and I'm giving out these flyers and I just want to invite you to come. Yeah. And uh, he's like, oh, uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. And, you know, immediately, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Of course, because he didn't have the spirit of God in him. Right. I didn't know that. Yeah. But so it actually was used by the Lord to show him what he was lacking. Wow. And then I think it was the day before we left, I got a call on the wow. phone. Wow. And he said, hey, Kevin, uh, I think I have to go to this. I need to go. Wow. And he said it with like trembling. He's like, I really have to go to this. Wow. He went on the trip. Yeah. And he was on Hollywood Boulevard as one of the brothers was preaching. Mm. He actually got saved right there. Wow. He got saved. (laughs) And then he shared with us all and we were all rejoicing at God's wonderful work in his life, you know? Yeah. So this is the message before we went on that trip. So, mm. and, it, and it's a powerful, beautiful message in, by itself. 
not just that it was the week before we went on the trip, but yeah. that's the one that we're going to play right now. That's and uh, so we love this, this brother, uh, Damien Kyle, and uh, the Lord used him many times in my life mm-hmm. as well. Um, I'd be sitting in certain messages and the Holy Spirit would just melt me as well. Mm. So let's listen to this message right now, which is going to show us how mindful the Lord is of us all, mm. just as he was for you. Yes. When you were sitting in Calvary Chapel. Amen. And he had thoughts towards you. Mm. He has thoughts towards us all. Yes. So let's listen and be blessed again. We were blessed last week. We're going to be blessed again. Yes. Amen. 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 Psalm 8 begins and ends the same. And it begins and ends with the exact same declaration of David to the Lord. David declares, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And all of the Psalms are, in one sense or another, an expression of of faith and and worship and, and praise being lifted up to the Lord. But here in Psalm 8, we have a psalm that is uh, purely praise. The psalmist doesn't ask for anything. He doesn't want anything from God. He doesn't need anything that, that he asks for. What is happening in his life at the moment that he pens this by the Holy Spirit, his heart is so full of the things of God that all he wants to do is express his praise and his thanksgiving to the Lord. And he praises the excellence of the Lord's name in all of the earth. In the Hebrew culture, a name represented the nature of a person. And it wasn't just their name, it represents their nature. And that's what, that's what Jesus was declaring when he said in John chapter 14, verse 13, And whatever you ask in my name, I, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now that, that is not a promise that Jesus is making to us that he'll say yes to any request that we make of God in his name. We can ask him for any kind of uh, sane or insane kind of thing and as long as we attach at the end in Jesus' name, somehow we have checkmated God and he is compelled now to give us what it is that we have, he, we have asked of him. What Jesus is saying is that he will say yes to everything that we request that looks like him, that is consistent with his nature and consistent with his will in the situation, what he would do in the situation. So when David declares to God, how excellent is your name in all the earth, he's praising God for the excellence of his nature. He's praising God for who he is and what he is. And anywhere he looks, anywhere in life, he sees God's power, he sees his wisdom, he sees his majesty. And, and so he's praising the Lord for who and, and what he and he alone is in the world. In verse 3, notice first that David declares that the excellency of the Lord is demonstrated in his creation. It's demonstrated in nature. And, and as David looks up, we don't know where this happened in his life, but we know the circumstances from the psalm. 
He is obviously standing out in an open area somewhere at night. And he is looking up into the sky because he speaks of the moon and he speaks of the stars. He makes no mention of the sun. So it is nighttime somewhere and he is looking up into the skies and he sees the moon and he sees the stars there before him and he, as he sees the beauty of what is before him, he realizes not only that God created that, but he realizes that my God, our God, has created all of this that we see. And that he created this not through some kind of exhausting, you know, labor on his part, but as we're told there in, in uh, verse 3, that they're the work of his fingers. In the same way that a potter takes a piece of clay, puts it on the wheel, begins to work that, the strength of the, the potter is much greater than what he's creating and he's fashioning. And, and David looks and says, in the same way that the potter fashions that clay and makes that beautiful bowl in, in the same way and yet with even greater ease. God created all of the heavens and, and all of the universe. And and as he stands out there, staring up into the sky, his his heart is filled with awe concerning this God who is able to do such a thing, and that that God is his God. And that God was his God. And that God is our God. David spent a lot of time outside throughout his whole life. He was a shepherd boy. That's his job he had in the family because he was the youngest and it was the worst job. And there's David all through those long summers in Israel. And he's moving the flock from pasture to pasture to keep them grazed when everything's turning brown through the heat of the summers in that part of the world. And so he'd be far away from home much of the summer because all of that would have been grazed early on. And at night he would go out and there he is with the flock and spending night after night for weeks just laying out with the flock and then looking up into the sky at the moon and at the stars until he became an expert on them. And, and today, you know, how we, we live today, there's so much competition for our time. And, and we can sit in a room like this, I know that I can, and I could just sometimes just kick myself for this beautiful, you know, light show that the Lord puts on every night and, and all, and that I don't get out there to see it more often. And, but we have competitions in our life. That, that David didn't have. So the sun goes down and the day's over. You know, you might as well just look at the sky and get your sleep and get ready for the early start of the next day and all here today. You know, there's TV and there's radio. There's evening services at church. There's all kinds of, of, of different things that are they're going. That David, no competition, no TV in his day, no radio in his day, no books in his days. A few scrolls, but they certainly weren't around Bethlehem. And so what would he do? He'd spend his evenings just studying the sky until he became an expert 
on every month the movement of the moon across the sky, the relationship of the other stars to the moon and all of these things until he came to know the heavens and the planets within the sky in a way that you and I would only know what we know best in all of, of, of life. And David, when he looks up into the heavens, he doesn't worship the heavens. <laughs> they just spoke to him of the God that was behind the heavens. I mean, he looks at the vastness of the universe. And he realizes that it's vast beyond his understanding, but he realizes even the vastness of the universe only speaks of a greater vastness of the God who is behind the universe that he sees. And as he surveys the greatness of God's creation, it produces within him, verse 4, a sense of his own smallness. And that's what happens when we look at God's creation when you stand on a beach and you see those waves pound on rocky shores and cliffs and you realize if I, as a man, were in that water, they would dash me to pieces inside of a minute. Or, or you sit and you look up into the sky and you see the, sun, the moon and you see the stars and, and all of these things. There's something wonderful that happens in the heart of man when we look at the greatness of God's creation because what it does is it pulls down our pride and it makes us aware of our smallness in, in the grand scheme of things and it produces this beautiful, quiet humility in my life is, is I'm just watching what God has created to say nothing of the God behind the creation. We know today what David didn't know. I mean, he knew it in his own way, but he didn't know it as scientifically as we know it today. That in one second of, of time, light travels 186,000 miles. That's about seven times around the planet. It takes about eight minutes for a, a ray of light to leave the sun and make its way to planet Earth. And in a year, that same beam will travel almost six trillion miles. Scientists call this a, a light year. And eight billion light years from Earth is halfway to the edge of the known universe. That's just the universe that we know is man. And within the universe there are a hundred billion galaxies and each one of those hundred billion galaxies has a hundred billion stars on average and in all the galaxies there are perhaps as many planets as stars ten billion trillion. That's a lot of creation out there that David was looking at as far as he could look out at with the naked eye. And, and almost always as we're thinking about the greatness of God in, in that creation, it all, what follows almost seamlessly right in our heart is, is we realize how small we are in, in the light of it. We, we wonder that the God that created all of that is concerned about me that he even knows that I exist. 
And, and when David looks at the stars, when he looks at the moon, it produces within him this healthy sense of his own smallness and his own insignificance. And, and it's important for mankind to be confronted with our smallness and our insignificance, or we'll get too proud to think that we need God. The natural disasters are always a, a kind of you know, a hard thing, and we realize that there, there are tragedies that occur with that. But, but one of the, the you know, silver linings to the cloud is that when things happen, it makes man realize how little we have control over in, in the world. And, and, and it's a, it, it humbles us, and it's a good thing. And as David considers the greatness of God's creation, he, he's looking at it, but David's he's a child of God, he's a thinking person. And when he looks at the greatness of God's creation, a question begins to form in his mind. Just this single great question rises up out of the greatness of God's creation. And that question is listed there in verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Here is David. He is in awe of the creation. He is in awe of the moon. He is in awe of the stars that are in it before him. And when you think there is nothing that could eclipse the awe that he is feeling in his heart when he views the creation of God, suddenly that awe is eclipsed by a greater awe. And the greater awe is not what, you know, the greatness of the God that is able to create these things. But how in the world, and why in the world would a God who has created all of these things have even the slightest interest in man? Why would he be concerned about us? Why would he love us? Why would he bother? Why would he care? And yet he does. And David knows he does. And that, that's the great awe in David's heart that marks the psalm. That's the greater mystery to him. Not that God can create all of this. But that a God so great and so wise and so powerful as to be able to create all those things... Why in the world would he give two cents for man? Why would he spend a moment of his time thinking about us? But he does. That's the great mystery to David. And that's why he poses the question in verse 4. And so David, in verses 4 through 8, he declares also that the excellency of the Lord is revealed not only in his creation but in his gracious dealings with man. And, and David is in awe of the fact that God is mindful of us. That God thinks about us. And that's what the word mindful means. It means to think about. God thinks about us. God thinks about you. God thinks about me. How depressing. But he does, you know. And David wrote in Psalm 139, How precious, he says to the Lord, How precious also are your thoughts to me, 
Oh God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. It's amazing that we, that he would think about us, that his mind would be full of us, mindful of us, and, and, and then his, his mind would be full of good thoughts toward us. You know, the Bible says, that concerning Jesus, that not only does he think of us, but he constantly prays for us. Do you know right now as one of his children, he prays for you. This moment, while you sit in that seat, he, the Bible says, he ever lives, Hebrews 7, he ever liveth to make intercession. There's never a moment in time, not in the day or in the night, that he is not praying for you in the situation that you're in. That's amazing. So not only the thoughts toward us, but here is Jesus himself praying for us. And and David is in in awe that this God who has made the heavens and the earth and set his glory on them should give us a thought at all, much less give us a second thought, much less have his mind filled related to us. And when David thinks about it, because he knows it's true about God, he's humbled. The creation humbles him. But that, that realization concerning God humbles him even more. David, notice in verse 4, is also in awe of the fact that not only does God think of us, but he visits us. That is, that he is actively involved in our lives. And one could look and say, well, I could understand why God would give us a thought or two, but surely, having thought about us a little bit, he would never want to be involved with us. (laughs) He'd never send a visitor, uh, much less become a visitor and live inside of our our hearts. But he does. And, And here, as David looks, he's in awe of the fact that God visits us, that he actively involves himself in our lives. And then David marvels in verses 5 through 9 that not only has God created us in his image, but then he has given us dominion over the work of his hands on the earth. He's entrusted his creation to our oversight. And, and David is saying, Lord, we get to, get to serve you. We get to... Um, uh, serve you in the oversight of your creation. Thank you, Lord, you're too much. How, how terrible would life be? I, I, I think most of us know it in this room because we've lived it for some portion of our lives. How terrible would it be to live life outside of the purposes of God? Where well, I'm not engaged in at all in what He is involved in in the world. How many movies can you watch? How many meals can you eat? How many vacations can you take? How many places can you go? How many relations can you have? How many, how many, how many, all of these things and more? You do all those things. And then when a person comes to know the Lord and now their life is engaged in the things that count for eternity, there's just no comparison. To be actively partnering with God. He is the senior partner. 
With him in his eternal work, David said, Lord, you are too much. Thank you for the privilege that you would not only think of us, you would not only visit us, but that you would also use us on top of all of that and in using us, rescue us from the emptiness and frustration of life lived apart from your purposes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And he just began, praises the Lord. And he marvels at God's gracious treatment of man. And as David thought about the Lord, as creator, as he thought about the Lord as the one who is mindful of man and the one who is a visitor of man, the one who allows man to be involved in his work, all of it produced on him, all of it produced uh, praise in him, and it should. It should produce that within us. But as wonderful as Psalm 8 is, and as wonderful as the revelation is that David had in Psalm 8, as Christians, we have the greater revelation. And we are able, because of the fact that we look back 2,000 years upon that cross at Calvary, and we look back on our Savior who hung there. We look back on our Jesus upon that cross. God in human flesh. Hanging there to provide the forgiveness of our, our sins. And we're able to see the mindfulness of God in a way that if David had known it fully, I'd, I would love to read the psalm that would have come out of it. We're able to see the mindfulness of God toward man in the light of Calvary. That spit and blood-covered Savior and blood-covered cross. That the concern for our salvation filled his mind. And we look at that cross and we think God I know enough about myself that I wouldn't blame you if you never thought twice about me the entirety of my life. But then when I look at the cross and realize that you have thought about my salvation all through the ages, that he would give us a thought at all. And then we're able to see the heart of God to visit man in the light of the cross of Calvary, in the light of the coming of Jesus. He is the greatest visitor that the world has ever known. The greatest visitor that's come to the planet. John wrote in his Gospel, Chapter 1, and he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, speaking of Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And then he goes on and says, And the Word that is Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
And it is there that we see the fullness of the awe that was begun in David concerning God as a God who visits. Jesus, on the night before the cross, prayed to the Father in John chapter 17. He was in the presence of the disciples. And he said to the Father, he said, I've glorified you on the earth, and I have finished the work that you have given me to do. And he said, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory that I had with you before the world began. It will not be until I one day stand for myself on that glassy sea before that throne, and I'm a partaker of the glory of heaven, that I will begin to understand, even begin to understand, what he left to even come here, much less to come here and die here for my sins. And we are able, with the greater revelation, to understand the privilege of serving God, not only in the light of this earthly creation. David praises the Lord. His whole heart soars before the Lord that God has created him in the image of God, that God has given him dominion over sheep and given him dominion over oxen and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. And in this covenant, that God would use him, he says, as a part of your oversight of your creation. And in this covenant that we have as Christians, we don't have the oversight merely of oxen and sheep and fish and birds and these things, but God has entrusted as a stewardship the gospel to us. He allows us to take the message throughout the entire world that changes human lives, changes eternities, helps people come out of the pits that they're in and into the life that God has for them. He allows us to be engaged in a work that will outlive the oxen, will outlive the sheep, will outlive the birds, will outlive the fish, will outlive the heavens and the earth. Our privilege, I don't know what David would have done with pen in hand in our covenant, in our place here this morning. He saw through a glass darkly. And here we have the privilege of being able to serve God in ways and in areas that will outlive the heavens and the earth that make a difference for people, for eternity. And all of the way through the psalm, there is a sense in David that man is not worthy of God and that we are not worthy of any of his blessings. But of course he lacked the self-esteem teaching that is prevalent in our age. And because he knew 
that he was not and that we are not worthy of God or any of his blessings. There was an awe that filled his heart when he realized that this God has chosen to bless us anyway. And there is in the song such an unspoiled and pure and childlike appreciation and awe in David for God regarding these things. Because he understood the distance between the greatness and the power and the holiness and the nature of God and what man now is in his fall. And a person's awe of God and a person's worship of God is directly proportional to the distance that they understand is between those two things. And if a person thinks that God has, in his dealings with man, sent his son in order to make basically good people better, there is no worship. That will never produce a worshiper of God. But when a person understands that God did what he never needed to do, and causes the angels to marvel as they watch it unfold, that God would save and that God would desire not only to forgive and save, but enter into relationship with fallen, frail, pathetic human beings, then the worship fills the heart of that person. And David was completely in that camp. We live in an interesting culture in the United States of America, and we live in a culture that if we allow it to fashion us, will take us completely out of what David experienced between he and God and the awe that he experienced and the light of God in Psalm 8. Because we live in this country in a culture of entitlement. And we begin to think that we deserve everything. And we begin to think that we're worthy of everything. And we gain such an elevated view of ourselves that we then carry it from the physical realm and we carry it into our personal relationship with the Lord in all of this and we lose the awe and the appreciation because we begin to think that we deserve everything that God has supplied us in Christ, that everything is, is owed to us. Of course I deserve salvation. God never needed to do it. Of course I deserve a personal relationship with God. He never needed to do it. And the awe that is produced within our heart is the awe that comes with realizing He never needed to do that, and, and, but He has nonetheless done it for us. And when we begin to take this kind of entitlement thing into the whole spiritual side of things, and we begin to think, and we get used to these truths after a while. We've walked with God, yes, uh-huh, of course, well, why wouldn't he save me? I mean, anybody knows that I'm a great guy, and, and, this kind of, and, and what it does is the first thing we notice goes out the doors is our awe of God. 
and, and our worship of God. They become casualties of it. We'll never live not one line into to Psalm 8 in that way. To David, God's blessings defied any explanation in man. He looked at man, he looked at himself, and he said, there is no explanation for the mindfulness of God, for the visitation of God, for the privilege of serving God. There is nothing in man that explains that. It's all because of God and his nature, and it produced an awe and a worship in him toward the Lord. And I, I fear sometimes, as I look at things that if we were to ask people, even God's people, the question of verse 4, what is man that God is mindful of him, and the son of man that God would visit him, that they'd have an answer. That they think they would have an answer in man for that question. And to me the thing that represents classically this whole movement of things today, the exaltation of man always at the expense of God, always at the expense of God, never is it worse than in spiritual settings. And so often you hear it over and over again where the Christian is told, do you want to know your value as a person, your value as a Christian? Look at the cross. That's the price that he was willing to pay. That's your value. But did God get value for value at Calvary? How much worship comes out of value for value? None. None. It will destroy a worshiper of God. The Bible teaches that the cross of Jesus Christ is not an expression of our value, but it is a demonstration of God's love. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, But God demonstrates his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what Calvary is. Not a demonstration of my worth. I don't want to see a demonstration of my worth, excuse me. It is a demonstration of the love and the grace of God. Now that doesn't do much for a man's self-esteem, but it does great things for his worship, and it does great things for producing praise and thanksgiving to God for his mindfulness of me, for his willing to visit me, for his willingness to allow me to be a part of his work. And when God's love for us is unexplainable, except in the fact that God is love, then we will spend our lives with David in Psalm 8. Filled with praise, filled with awe, filled with worship and thanksgiving being directed to him. That's where David was. He looked up at God and said, Did you think of me 
that you visit me with your presence, that you use me. I don't get it, God. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. And it's that that made him the great worshiper of God that he was. Jesus said, for to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. There's a relationship between our consciousness of how much God has forgiven me and how undeserving I am of his love and of his forgiveness and of his grace. It is that consciousness that produces thanksgiving within me in praise directed toward him. And here David says, praise you, Lord. Praise you for your creation. Praise you that you think of me, that you even think of me. Praise you, Lord, that you visit me and visit us. Thank you, Lord, that you allow us to serve you, to be a part of your work. And David in Psalm 8 hasn't lost the awe of it at all. What is man? In the light of a holy and almighty God, David couldn't figure it out. And he doesn't answer the question in the psalm. It puzzled him all the days of his life. But it also blessed him. And it also awed him every time he thought of it. And it made him the worshiper of God that he was. Wow, that's really powerful. And I'm reminded of a friend of mine who got saved in prison. Mm. And she testifies how she was on the floor in this prison cell by a nasty, filthy bathroom, toilet, you know, and she's on the floor in this prison. And she said that nobody came to visit her in there. Nobody. I mean, just she was left to herself. And she said that the president of the United States wouldn't have ever came and visited me, but the king of the universe, Jesus, Mm. he came and he visited me in that lowest of low place. And he touched my heart and he cleansed me and he saved me and healed me. And she now has gone to be with the Lord. Her name is Debbie. Mm. And she was a dear friend of mine for many years, and um, now she's gone to be with the Lord. She had an, a spontaneous aneurysm in her kitchen, but I just know she had such a powerful testimony that I'm excited to meet her again one day. Yeah, she understood what David was talking about. Yes. What am I? Yeah. That you, you're mindful of me? Mm. And even beyond that, that you would come and visit Yeah. me? He goes to the lowest, darkest There's nothing in us places that pulls God out of heaven. No. Nothing, nothing in us pulls him off his throne mm-hmm. to a cross. Right. No. It's just pure love. Yeah. You know, it's the pure it's love who he is. of who he is. And seeing us who we really are. Mm. See this world and psychology of this world will puff man up. Yeah. They'll make you feel like you're so great you don't even need God. Exactly. You know, and that's such a lie. It is. It's like none of us on our best day is worthy of the king of the universe no. dying for our sins. Worthy is the lamb. He's worthy. Amen. Of the glory and the praise. Praise the Lord. 
Well, I'm really thankful for this episode and thankful for the work of God and thankful for the shepherds of God in my life who Amen. brought me mine. to salvation. Shepherds after the Lord's heart. Jeremiah Not just 3. shepherds, not just shepherds, but shepherds after his heart. Yes, Jeremiah chapter 3 That's is right. the chapter, one of the chapters when I first got saved that um, was really instrumental in my life. And that is a promise in there that he'll send you shepherds after his own heart. That's after right. After you've come to him and you're washed and cleansed, he's going he's gonna to lead you. And it's so cool how he sends you to shepherds that love him and love you and care about your soul. And this message was from one of them Amen. in my life. That's right. That's right. Just make Jesus your chief shepherd. That's right. Never exalt man beside oh. him or above him. Give mm -hmm. him the proper place in your life. Amen. And he'll get everything else in order. That's right. Amen. 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 And remember, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. He has everything under control. So look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Amen. 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 And may the Lord bless you as you seek him today. Maranatha. Thanks for listening to Spirit of Adoption Radio. You can reach us through our website, adoptionairfare.com. Also, please subscribe and leave us a review on the listening platform of your choice. Lord willing, we'll see you next time. Maranatha. 